morning, church. Yeah, so we're going to be in John chapter 1 today. I'm excited. Um, we, we <clears throat> Christmas sermons are, are always kind of a an interesting kind of push. It, it's, a, it's a time to really hone in. Not that we don't focus on Jesus, but it's a time that we see others outside the church sometimes focusing on Jesus. And it, it's an exciting time because it can give us opportunity to to really share the truth of Scripture with people. And so today we're going to be in John, cha- or, yeah, John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18. If you've got your Bible, awesome, go ahead and open up. And if not, it'll be on the screen and you can follow along there. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I have said, he comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, there is there's a there's an eight week sermon series just in this eighteen verses of scripture, and there's so much to unpack, and there's so much deep theology and in, in in Christonomy, and, and then knowing who Jesus is, just based on what the Apostle John has written to us, I, I pray, Lord, that as we go into this time, as we spend time in Your Word, looking at at, at this opening to John's Gospel, um, that You would allow me the 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 grace and the mercy to speak clarity to Your Word, uh, that You would put me aside, and, and it just be Your Word here, Father, that that you would use me in spite of who I am and in spite of myself to proclaim the truth. Father, I pray that as a, as a congregation, as a group of us, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts. Let us see the richness, the fullness that is Jesus here. And it's in his precious 
and holy name I pray. Amen. So it is Christmas time, and, and Chris and I are going to be preaching some Advent sermons. I've got this week, he's got the next couple, and then Christmas weekend will be, be me again. And so we're excited about that. But being the good Baptist guys we are, we're actually kind of not running on any liturgical calendar. Technically, Advent started last Sunday. Uh, but Chris and I wanted to make sure that we finished our sermon series through Peter's letters before we jumped into an Advent sermon series. And so we, we did that. And Christmas is one of those like weird times for me. Like I like Christmas. I'm not opposed to Christmas. I'm not. I don't believe that I'm an Ebenezer Scroogey kind of guy. Um, I'm, but I'm just. I'm about over the commercialization of Christmas, right? I'm I'm I'm, oh, I'm kind of a Charlie Brownie kind of guy. He not only do he and I share the same haircut. I think we share the same sympathies as it comes around Christmas time, right? That that just all the mess, all the fuss. I don't want to go into Hobby Lobby in July and see the Christmas decorations already out. I don't like that. I, that, that. That's bothering to me, right? But Christmas holds this ton of nostalgia. There's, there's great family traditions, and, and there, it, there is what appears to be a brief moment when people are more focused, and I'm going to use air quotes there, to focus on Jesus for a little bit more than usual. And a lot of that just... Focus on Jesus when they normally wouldn't feels weird to me. Right? As a minister of the gospel, it's my goal to be focused on Jesus all the time. It's my goal to lead others to be focused on Jesus all the time. It's my heart's desire to see our church, our community, and our world turn their lives and their central focus to Jesus. And not just turn their time as a focus of Jesus from Thanksgiving until New Year's Day, but for eternity. I want to see lives changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to see lives surrendered to Jesus for the salvation of sin. I want to see the kingdom of God advance here on earth through his son, Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John wants as well here, as he's writing to us. He wants people to know Jesus. And at the very beginning of his gospel account, he gives this beautiful introduction to Jesus. Here, here we are at the very beginning of, of John's gospel, and we are introduced to the eternal, pre-existent, now incarnate Word, who is the one of a kind, Son of the Father, who is himself God. Like there's, there's just so much wrapped up in who he's saying Jesus is. And Jesus is, is the culmination of of the history of all salvation. Everything God has done up to this point in all of Scripture, everything He's done in all of history leads us to Jesus. Right from the time that He gave Moses the law, then when He dwelled with the people in the tabernacle, in the temple, and all those messianic messages He gave to the prophets, and then sending that forerunner, John the Baptist, all of this points to Jesus. Jesus coming in the flesh, living his life, serving his ministry, sacrificially dying for our sins, and then resurrecting three days later so that those who know him may be adopted as children of God and to be joint heirs to the inheritance that is our salvation. And John opens up his gospel 
with the, with the echoes of Genesis. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and we see that as he opens that up, he says, in the beginning, and then he soon identifies the Word that was at the beginning and was with God and who is God as Jesus. And I find it really interesting that the Spirit led John to call Jesus the Word and not something else. But in, in using Word the way he does, he, he gets to this deep sense of divine self-expression that has a deep connection to the Old Testament. It, it reminds us that God's Word is effective. That when God speaks, things come into being. And God uses speech to personally communicate with his people as he did with Abram when we see it in Genesis chapter 15. John's using the word here in this manner is very interesting as well. Because when he does this, it counters kind of the, the, the going Hellenistic Greek philosophical position about the word. Word, logos in Greek. right? That was held often uh, amongst the, the, the Gentiles of the area. Right? That this was, is a very impersonal concept of reason that gave order to the universe. Right? That, that, that that's how it came about. There was just reason out there that, that put the, or, the universe in order. There wasn't necessarily even the gods because we know the Greek and Roman gods created chaos. They didn't create order, even in their worship of them. So here we, we see word being used to kind of counteract some of that. And yeah, there is order in the universe. And there is a person, a one who put the universe in order. And he's personal with his creation. And I love that. Here, here he's using the word word again. And he says the fact that the word was with God shows that, that interpersonal relationship with God. And the word was God affirms that this word that John writes about is the same God who created the universe in the beginning. God spoke it into existence. I love this because John's laying the groundwork for us to see the, the doctrine of the Trinity. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word is, is his own person. The Word has fellowship with God, yet the Word is God. The one true God exists as more than one person, and, and they relate to one another. And they all have always existed, Father, Son, and Spirit. And John says that all things were made through him. I think about that. All things were made through him. All things means everything that was ever made. Everything that was ever made. All of creation. The things that we can see, the things that we can't see, the things that have passed, and the things that are yet to come. All things were made through him. Everything that exists was created. And yet nothing created has ever existed eternally. Yet the word has been around eternally. 
It was the Word who had a hand in creation. Everything was made through Him. God the Father's creative works are carried out through the activity of the Son, even in the beginning at creation. I love this because this is, this is just big. This is, John is John's saying, do y'all see what, I'm, what he's doing here, right? John is saying, guys, Jesus, who I knew personally and intimately, who I have faithfully served as apostle, Jesus, the guy that I walked around with for, for three years in ministry, Jesus, who was born of a virgin, lived a poor and humble life as a carpenter, Jesus, who did all those miracles we've read about, Jesus is God. Big G, God. Jesus was from the beginning. It is Jesus who created the universe, and it is Jesus who brings about our salvation. That's what John's saying here. And it's huge. And him being used to, to led to use the word word to describe Jesus as significant. John Piper asked this question. He says, why was he called the word? Right? And, and in John Piper fashion, he always answers that question um, by thinking of things that, that Jesus could have been called but was not. Right? He, he kind of answers these, like, John Piper, I love that he does these, like, theological thought experiments. That's <laughs> kind of what he does. Like, why would John want to be, have him called the Word? Well, let's look at some things that he could have been called that don't make sense, right? That's, that's kind of how Piper works through this. And he talks about Jesus being called the deed, right? He could have been called the deed because of the mighty acts that God has done through, through history and through the, the action that Jesus himself took to provide salvation for us. But we see that God, throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament and New, puts a priority and an emphasis on the Word of God. Jesus could have been called the thought because we know that our God is, is so big that, that He could have thought some things into existence. But that diminishes the fact that Jesus exists for the sake of communicating with God the Father and being God the Father's communication to us. He is the implement in which God the Father communicates salvation to us. Jesus could have also been called the feeling, right? the love, or whatever, but that's a little ambiguous. And our God is not a God of ambiguity. And, and he writes about these things in this, this book called The Dawn of Indestructible Joy, and I, and I would recommend looking at it. It's a beautiful 25-day easy read um, devotional through Advent. And I would encourage that. But Jesus here is called the Word because it is through Him that we may communicate with God the Father and know intimately the things of God. Jesus is God expressing Himself to us, letting us know who He is. John continues on, and he talks about the references to the light and the dark in verses 4 and 5. And, and this is more echoes of Genesis in the Old Testament. But it's also this beautiful assurance to us that, that the light, that as the light, Jesus brings our dark world to true knowledge. Jesus as the light brings our dark world to moral purity. Jesus as the light is the light that shows us the very presence of God. It is Jesus who light, who is the light 
that shows us the path to know God. And that's, that's again, so much unpacking of who Jesus is. And we're just now getting to verse 6. Verse 6 through 8, John the Apostle clarifies that while John the Baptist was a great prophet and a good man, he was not Jesus. John the Baptist was the forerunner, the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare yourselves for the coming of the Lord. And John preached about Jesus so that others would believe in Jesus. He wants to just make that clarification. Don't confuse the two. They are not the same as what he's saying here. Yet the world, when we continue on, here, here's Jesus, and, the, and, and John's proclaiming Jesus, and he wants people to believe in Jesus. Yet the world, lovingly and carefully made by Jesus, rejects Jesus. Even with convincing proofs, Jesus' own people, the Jews, who have had the Scripture, who have been able to see the proof and, and the expectations of the Messiah, they look at all of that and they reject Jesus. They rejected the Messiah that had been promised, the one that they had claimed they were waiting and watching and looking for. But those who receive him, but to those who have received him, he gives them the right to be children of God, to be adopted by the creator of all the universe. This is huge. And this isn't just some sort of academic or, or intellectual agreement about who Jesus is or what he teaches. right? This isn't just a, well, I know that Jesus was born of a virgin at Christmas, lived life as a man, and, and died on a cross to save us from our sins. There's, there's 100,000 people in Morgan County, Indiana alone that could probably tell you that. It's not the same here as who have really received him. This is about a personal trust, laying all of my trust in Jesus. This is about a personal relationship, getting to know Christ through his word. When we believe in his name, we hold dear to all that is true about Jesus. Every bit of it. His teachings, his commandments, his deity, and we live like we believe all of that is true. See, our adoption as children of God is something that comes from God. That's how adoption works. Right? When we're born, our parents are our parents. They're just biologically there. But adoption means somebody chooses us to be their child. It comes from God. See, we are born of God in that way. We're not born of blood. We're not born of flesh. This is, this is not our physical birth. It is, it is not about our ethnicity. It's not about some family heritage of, of Christ followers that makes you a child of God. Just because Mamaw was a believer in Jesus doesn't mean you're a Christian. A friend of mine who served as a missionary for years and years, Rich Fleming, says it this way, and I love how he says it. There are no grandchildren of God in heaven. There are only children of God in heaven. We're all adopted. See, it's, it's, it's this supernatural work of God that saves us. And it's this supernatural work of God that, that brings us into his family as his children. 
and to be adopted by him shows the loving care he has for us. Verse 14, we come back to John using the name Word, the Word. He says here that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love that. Became flesh and dwelt among us. This is one of those truly amazing mysteries of Scripture. And and it's one of those things of God that that we can't understand or we can't comprehend. It's one of those things we can try to explain it, but our explanations as people will always fall short. When John says the Word became flesh, notice this and understand this. It's not that the Word stopped being God. It's not even that he shed any of his God traits. No, the Word is God. And in that moment, for that period of time where Jesus dwelt on earth amongst us, he took on humanity as well. This is huge. This is, this is the most amazing event in history. The eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, infinite, holy Son of God took on human nature and lived among humanity as one who was God and man at the same time in one person. Tempted in every way that you and I have ever been tempted, yet without sin, fully human, fully divine. Miraculous and mysterious all at once. And the crazy thing is, it was all done for our benefit so that we may glorify Him. I, I can't wrap my head around that. Right? We can't say that there's 200% of anything except when it comes to this. Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% God, 200% person. I don't get it either. But that's what the Scripture's telling me. He was fully man, fully God. Done for our benefit so that we may glorify Him. And then it says the Word dwelt among us. Literally translated, that means He pitched His tent. Again, we're we're seeing a a hearkening back to when God dwelt with the people in the tabernacle. An echo of the Old Testament again. As they were living, as God would would dwell with them in the tabernacle as they wandered through the wilderness. God had dwelt with man in the Old Testament in the tabernacle and in the temple. Now here's the beautiful thing. As God dwelled with the people then in the tabernacle and the temple. Now, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ makes the church and our individual believers' bodies the temple. And God dwells with us there. Personally. Directly. And the one who dwelt among us is the only Son from the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. God the Son. Not that He was, he was born. It's not that, not that in kind of thing. Not that Jesus was created. Jesus, you've already established, is preexistent. He was there in the beginning. He is God and was with God and, and all of that. We already know that He's always been in existence. 
He's the Son of God in, in, in the way that He and the Father have the same attributes. They have the same essence. And Jesus maintains this father-son relationship with God the Father. He is one of a kind. The, the Greek word there is also sometimes translated unique. Some scholars think that it's best translated as we see back in, in the old KJV, only begotten. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That grace is a beautiful thing and it's a wonderful thing. And it's God's unmerited favor on us that brings us blessing and brings us joy. And we have done nothing to earn it. Nor can we ever do anything to earn that grace that we have received. Yet Christ just bestows it on all of us who call out onto him. Just gives it away. So God has been faithful in sending his one-of-a-kind, unique, only begotten son as he promised in his covenant. See, John's not contrasting the law when he talks about this. He's not contrasting the law as bad and, and Jesus as good. The giving of the law and the coming of Christ are both parts of God's design. Both play a part in the history of salvation, and both are decisive events. The law graciously reveals God's divine character. It reveals to us God's divine righteousness. Jesus then marks the final definitive fulfillment of all of God's grace and all of God's truth. John continues on as he kind of closes out this little section here that no one has seen God in a full and complete way. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Now we know that in Scripture there are some in the Old Testament who saw partial revelations of God. Right? We, we think about like Isaiah being able to take it, being taken into the throne room of heaven with, in a vision. We see Moses getting to take a glimpse of the backside of God through, through the rock. We, we see these sorts of things, but those are partial glimpses, partial revelations. But seeing God in Christ is far better than those partial glimpses of the Old Testament. Get that? The, the, the being able to see God through Christ in our lives, being able to see God that way is better than Moses getting a peek at the back of God. Better than Isaiah sitting and not seeing all of God, but seeing parts of the throne room. See, Jesus is the one of a kind, unique, only begotten. He is the Word. And as the Word, He is God, and He has revealed and explained God to us. We get to see God through Jesus. And that's wonderful. And beautiful and amazing. Let's go back to verse 16 for just a second here. I want us to look at that word fullness. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. All right, the sermon is entitled The Fullness of the Word Made Flesh. 
And there's so much here that it's going to be really hard to unpack all the fullness of Jesus. But I need to stop and say, what does that fullness mean and, and how does it apply to us? Again, I like how, how John Piper applies this fullness to us. Is, again, the, this is coming from, from his book about undestructible joy, this, this Advent book he's written. And when he talks about Jesus in the fullness, he says the, one of the things he talks about is the Word was, was with God and the Word was God, that, that Jesus' fullness is God's fullness. The fullness of Christ in our lives is the fullness of God. That We have this, this, this divine and infinite fullness in Jesus. When we see that the Word became flesh and dwelt with us, that means Jesus lived in the same weary body of skin and bones that you and I have. Now, that's hard to to picture sometimes. But that's what He did. He was tempted in the same ways you and I have been tempted. He understands us. Jesus is acceptable, or I'm sorry, accessible to us. Because he has experienced what we have experienced. So we have, a, have an accessible fullness of Christ in him. The word took on flesh and his glory was seen. Jesus has a, has a glorious fullness. That's accessible to us. In who he is. The Word is is the only Son of God, the unique, one-of-a-kind, only begotten of God, the Father, right? This this is who Jesus is. Uh, This is is one of those, another one, tricky ones. It's not that that our salvation isn't just from God, right? We, We know that salvation is a gift from God, but it is also a gift through God. Jesus was sent to live his life in, a, in, in the flesh of a man. God sent Jesus to deliver his fullness to us. And the salvation of Jesus is a fullness of grace. And it's a fullness of, of truth, right? Meaning that our, that our grace is rooted in, in a rock-solid reality. That rock-solid reality is the God of all ages, creator of the universe. And he has blessed us in every way with this fullness. This Christmas time, this Advent season, as, as we're spending time in the Word, we're spending time maybe doing a daily devotional that's, that's a little geared towards Christmas. As we're, we're looking at these things, I want us to take time to ponder, to sit, meditate on the Word of God and think about the fullness of the word becoming flesh. What that means for us. I want us to take time to to share the goodness of that with others, to share the beautiful gospel message of the fullness of Jesus. I want us to pray for the fullness of Jesus in our lives this season. Pray that we have opportunity to share the fullness of the gospel with others so that the kingdom of God may advance. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I thank you again so much for the day you've given to us. I thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
thank you that, that Jesus is preexistent, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, accessible. Father, all these things we've talked about, I thank you for that. I pray that as we spend time this, this Advent season pondering the depth of our salvation, the depth of Jesus coming and fulfilling the law, Jesus being the Word, that we get excited about it. And then as people talk about Jesus and they talk about things at Christmas time that we are then not just excited about it, but then we are motivated to share the truth of the whole gospel, the fullness of it. That it isn't just Jesus came and, and was born in a, in a manger and lived a good life and taught good lessons. No. That as Jesus' creation, we have rebelled against him. And we deserve judgment because of that rebellion. But in his love, he's provided a way out of it through his sacrificial death on that cross that comes after the birth. Father, when we cry out and ask for the repentance, for the forgiveness of our sins, and we repent, we turn, you are willing and gracious and good to give pray we share the gospel and the fullness of it as, as we share Jesus this holiday season. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name I pray.